Man, good morning. So excited to be here with you guys this morning and so excited just to open this word with you. Um, man, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and flip to Hebrews 4. I'm, I'm just going to pray again. Um, you can pray for me if you want or you can listen to me pray or whatever you want to do. But man, I just need, God, just move this morning. God, just move. God, beyond our ability this morning, just move. Beyond our um, capacity, maybe this morning, just move. God, we don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from you. God, I'm just a man. I don't have anything really valuable to give out other than maybe my opinion. But God, you have the words of life. And God, that's what we need this morning. So I'm just praying, Holy Spirit, that you just descend into this place. And God, you just start moving. God, you don't even need me. Just use me. God, this morning that you would just start peeling back that curtain from our eyes. God, that you this morning would help us to be a people that are in love with you. God, a people that don't just go through religious actions and motions hoping to uh, achieve some outcome. But God, this morning that we're a people that are desperate for you. I see in your words so often things like, man, as the deer pants after the water brooks on my soul, thirst for you, the living God, make us those people. God, we realize what a desert place we live in without you. This is desolate. In all, in all of its beauty, this world has nothing to offer, God, in your church. We, we can't be caught up in this place. We have to be caught up in you. We can't be caught up in like just church stuff. We can't be caught up in songs. We gotta be caught up in you. And God, this morning, I'm just praying that you'll just help us to do that, God, that you'll just shut everything else down and God, you'll just speak to us. God, I don't want to wade through like this whole thing and get to the end and just realize that I, I missed it. Even like if we make it to heaven, God, you have so much for us here. I don't want to miss that. So teach us, God. Teach us who you are. And help us to love that. God, today that we would shed everything that we think we know about you and we would just lean into you. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. Man, um, good morning. I'm so excited to be here with you guys, so excited about Hebrews 4. I love Hebrews uh, 4. I don't know if you even know it, but you hear Hebrews 4 like every week um, because I pray Hebrews 4 every time before I preach, and maybe that sounds crazy, and you're like, I've noticed that, and I don't know why you do that, Um, but I do that because um, there's just no power in me. I got the best of my ability i don't have anything to offer anybody but man the the word has some promises and it's the the, like 12 right the the word of god is living that's just it is what it is right and it's effective that's the word of god it's not me like it changes things and and i can't do that but it can do that and it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as to divide the soul and the spirit the joints and the marrow And, and i just love that i love that truth it says that this, this word is able to judge the ideas and the thoughts of our hearts. Like stuff that you can hide from everybody else, the, the word of God has the ability to, to read. Like I think it's funny because we think we read the word, but the word really reads us, doesn't it? And I think maybe so many times that's why we don't even want to read the word is because it's a painful experience to get in front of the sword, Right? It's like this master surgeon who lays us out on the table and he starts carving away at us through this word and taking out all those things that maybe we really, really love, but he really, really doesn't. And that's why maybe we don't even read the word, but man, it's such a beautiful thing what this book is. And no other book has that claim. 
right? You, you can go and read other books. I'm not against other books. I'm not saying never read anything else. Uh, I don't like to read, so I don't read anything else. But, but if you do, like, that's awesome. But there is no other book that is like this book with such authority as this book. This book is not just some words that some people put on a page, 66 books of people's opinions. It's one story of God. Amen. And I love that. And, and I love this word. And if I, this isn't even part, it's like for free today. But if, if I could just impart one thing for you today, it's love this book. Love this book because in this book, it tells us about our God. It teaches us about our God. And God will come into the room with you and he'll teach you about himself. And I'm just going to let you know today, there'll be a day where you won't be able to go to church. Maybe like we'll always have a building we can come to. And maybe, maybe whatever but there'll be a day where there's for some reason you won't be able to be here but man this book if this is all we had and we were alone in the forest like this book would be enough it'd be enough church will never be enough it's always like it's a good thing and i'm not knocking church but it'll never be enough but this book is enough and it's so clear about that but it says this, this word of God is living and it's effective and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as to divide the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and it, it can judge the ideas and the thoughts of our heart. If I didn't believe that, I would never get up here and talk. Because I've tried it on my own and it's horrible. But man, with God in this book, it's a beautiful thing. Fortunately for you, it's not really where we're going to be this morning. It's right after that. In 13, um, this writer starts talking about um, this God. In 13, he says, No creature is hidden from him, him being capitalized, being God. That's like such a bold statement, isn't it? No creature is hidden from him. Now, I love that because to understand the word creature is to understand how bold of a statement that is. See, in, in, in all of creation, there's two different things, right? There's creation, that's everything, other than the creator. Isn't that crazy? There's only two kinds of things. We see like all these different things, but really there's only two things. There's the creator, and it's God, the one who makes everything, and then there's creation, the things that he's made. And what this statement is saying is there is nothing in all of creation that God doesn't see. That's like a, a mind-blowing, isn't it? Because you can, you, we can see this room, right? I can see everything in this room if I'm looking at it. So, like, if I look over here, I can't see you guys. If I look over here, I can't see you guys. Like, but God, at one time, in one moment, can view all of creation. Isn't that, like, a crazy thought? Like, there's stuff that we, you know, we find, like, hundreds of, or maybe even thousands of species of animals, like, every single year on this planet. Like, we've been here for I don't know how long, and we're still finding stuff that nobody knew existed. I was looking last night at just a couple things um, that, uh, I think I Googled, like, um, species discovered this year, and it was some crazy, like, thousands number of things that they found in 2018, and it had, like, a top ten and it was just nuts. It blew my mind. I just love how creative God is. That He, And this is just like this ball that we live on. There's like a, a universe and all of that is part of creation. And God can see all of that. And there's no creature in all of that that's hidden from him. There's no created thing that's hidden from God. Mind-blowing. Like the, the, the smallest insect in the darkest part of the jungle that no one's ever been to, God knows what he's doing right now. And he knows what you're doing right now. The, the organism on the very bottom of the deepest part of the ocean that we may never even find, like God knows what he's munching on right now. 
That's, that's amazing to me. So I just, uh, just out of curiosity, like I, I Googled world's smallest primate. I'm, I'm weird. I like Google. I just look up crazy stuff. And I think we got a picture. We got a picture of him. This is him. Yeah. <laughs> I knew we would like him. Um, that is Madam Birdie's mouse lemur, something like that. That's, I don't know, Birdie or Bert or some, some weird name. Anyway, it doesn't really matter whose mouse lemur it is. It's God's mouse lemur. And this is him. And he is uh, 3.6 inches, like, maximum body size. I don't know how big that is, but I would imagine he can fit in my hand. I saw some pictures where he was, like, perched on a thumb or a finger. This is him. He actually uh, was discovered in 1992. Nobody knew he existed on the planet before 1992, and that's because he lives, do you have that picture? He lives in that little red blip in Madagascar. Now, if you don't know where Madagascar is, can you go to the next? Madagascar is this little tiny thing off to the side of Africa. So can you go back to the red blip? He lives there, that little red blip. Isn't that crazy? And then go back to Africa beside that. No wonder he was so hard to find. No wonder it took us till 1992, right? Like, that's insane. He lives in that little bitty red blip in Madagascar. That's the island beside Africa, who's part of, can you just go to the next one, that. You can kind of see Madagascar down there off beside Africa, right? I'll come over here. There's not a keyboard in the way. Um, He lives in a little red blip somewhere in there. On that big island, little red blip. Beside that big continent that's part of the big world. And if you just kept zooming out, like imagine that. Like God's not just sitting right above the world. Like there's a whole solar system and then beyond that there's like this universe. It's so vast that we live in. And he lives in that little red blip in Madagascar on this planet. And can I just say, because this is what blows my mind. God knows what he's doing right now. All, however many of them there are, he knows what every one of those guys are doing right now. Isn't that crazy? And I just want to say this. If God knows what he's doing right now, never takes his eyes off Birdie's lemur, right? God knows what we're doing right now. Not collectively, but like if we named this guy Tom... He knows what Tom's eating right now, and he sees you and knows what you're doing right now. And it's amazing to me that that's the God that we're talking about. It says no creature is hidden from him. And it's not talking about like ants, right? Like God knows there are ants, or God knows there are birdies lemurs. God knows about Tom. And God knows and cares what Tom, this little blip on a blip on a blip, right, (laughs) is doing right now. And if God knows what that blip on a blip on a blip is doing right now, I just want to say to you that God sees you and he knows you and he's not forgotten you and he's not lost you isn't that amazing no creature is hidden from God that's a bold statement and what he's saying today is God sees everybody Everything he's ever created, he knows, and he sees, and he loves, and he cares for. That is an amazing claim to me. 
And what's even more amazing about that is, is God doesn't have to take his eyes off Tom to put his eyes on me. God sees in a way that we can't see. Like, I'm looking over here, and I can't tell what you guys are doing. We're directional seers, but God is just, he can see everything and interact with everything and know everything all at one time. And it's such an amazing claim in this book. It says, no creature is hidden from him. And that means you. And then it goes on. And it says, but all things, everything, every single thing, not some things or most things or a lot of the things, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, dot, 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 right? All things are naked and exposed to him. Now, what that's not saying is God sees us all naked, right? It's not that like weird thing when you're public speaking and they're like, just imagine everybody, you know, that's weird anyway. I don't know why you do that. I think it's horrible advice, um, but, you know, like, that's not what it's saying here. To, to see what it's saying, we have to even think about, like, what is the context of, of that word? Like, what, what does it mean to be naked and exposed? And to really get naked and exposed, you have to understand that what clothed means, right? To put on clothes is to do what it's to hide your nakedness. When Adam's in the garden in Genesis 3 and he realizes he's naked, he goes and he makes a covering. He goes and he hides his, his nakedness. And what it's saying here is not only does God see everything, but God knows everything. Nothing can be hidden from God. Not one thing in all of creation can be hidden from God. And that means Tom and it means me, but it goes deeper than that now, doesn't it? We have a God who's infinitely active in all of creation. He's like involved. He's not just like, oh, I see a planet. And oh, there are people on the planet. He zooms in and he's like, oh, there's Tom. And then he zooms in and he's like, and Tom's eating a cheeseburger. I don't know why he's doing that because he's a lemur and it's bigger than him. But he's eating a cheeseburger. And then he can zoom in and he's like, and Tom's thinking, man, this is the best burger I've ever had. And Tom didn't pay for it, right? Like, <laughs> He's infinitely active and invested in all of creation. Nothing can be hidden from him. So what does that mean for me? Because I know it means what it means for Tom. Well, what it means for me is that I have a God who sees me. That's amazing. I'm, I'm not alone. I'm not forgotten. I'm not, missed, I'm not, I'm not in, in part of the herd. I, I have a God who sees me. But not only that, I have a God who knows me. God knows me. We have verses that back that up, right? And there's one where he's like, I, I know the hairs on your head. Some of us, uh, there's been a joke going around, it's easier to count than others. But like, that's the level of detail that God knows us to. And not only does he know what we look like, and not only does he know what we act like, which maybe is a scary thought for some of us, but... It goes deeper than that. God knows our favorite color. God knows what we like to eat. God knows what we like to do. God also knows our thoughts. If the word of God can read the thoughts and intentions of our heart, man, imagine this God. We have a God who sees us, who recognizes us, who knows us, who loves us, who cares about us. But also when I say he knows us, I mean he knows us. And nothing can be hidden from God. God knows what we think. Isn't that crazy? 
Wouldn't you like to just block that? Like, God, I don't want you really to know what I think, so I'm just going to wrap my head in aluminum foil or something and try to disrupt the signal. I don't need you to know that. Because some days it's good, and some days they cut me off, and it's happening up here, and it may never come out here, but it's happening up here. God knows the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. He, He knows the good stuff about us, but on the flip side of that, he also knows the bad stuff about us, doesn't he? The stuff that maybe you're really good at hiding from everybody else. Because aren't we all? Like, really? There's, there's a list of things right now that we could go through that I'm like, man, I hope nobody ever knows that. And maybe nobody else, right, ever will. But when it says that there is a God who no creature is hidden from, which means he's actively involved and invested in you, and it says that nothing is hidden from him, everything is naked and exposed to him, what it means is like he intimately knows us, the good and the bad, and there's no hiding any of it from God. I can hide it from every other person on the planet but there's one person I can't hide it from. It can go deeper than that, right? Like I could even hide it from myself. That's, that's really what morality is for most of us, isn't it? Like we just don't do the things that we think about doing. I want to punch you, but I can control myself. <laughs> but isn't the want there to send out a signal, hey, there's something wrong with my heart. Right, I, I want to blast you verbally, but I can keep my mouth from it. Well, isn't the want there to show that there's something wrong with my heart? And maybe I can hide it from others, and maybe I can hide it from self, but I can't hide it from God who is intimately invested in not only my life, but all of creation. And it says... To the eyes of him whom we must give an account. This is the context, right? It's all all one verse. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we must give an account. God sees all of creation He's intimately invested in you. And what it says at the end there is, and one day we're going to stand before him and we're going to be held accountable for everything. Do you, like, get the weight of that? Do you, do you even hear that? Like, uh, just, there, there's, there's something to that. To be held accountable to him is God's in charge and I have to give a narrative story of like everything I've ever done. And I don't have the option or the ability to leave out anything. No thoughts, no actions, nothing done in the dark room, right? Like I I have to tell him everything. Like everybody. 
not just me and not just you, but like every being, right? Every, every one of us, we're, we're going to have to stand before God one day who's, who's in charge, who's the boss, who created everything, and we're just part of creation. And we're going to have to run down the list. And, and this is how we know God doesn't run out of time. <laughs> because I, I know I've only been here like 32 years, and I'm going to take a while. Imagine just sitting here through the room today, like if we all had to come up here and just how, how weird and embarrassing and strange that would be to stand here in front and just be like, hey, I just want you to, we're going to start at the beginning. I was born and I was selfish and I was kind of a jerk because, you know, babies. Um, and, and I didn't care about your sleep needs because uh, I was hungry. And that was more important than your sleep, right? Like, <laughs> that was just day one and then day two. You know, like, that'd take a while. But, like, that's the reality of, of what this verse is saying. Save people, lost people, people that never heard. Same story. All All people. Isn't that like kind of just overwhelming for the brain? Like that's not like, whoo, revive, like, right? Like I loved where you started, right? Like Tom was important and Tom was in the, in the blip, on the blip, on the blip, and God saw Tom. And that's an amazing thing that God loves us and he, and he wants to know us in that way. That's an amazing thing. It's also an amazing thing that God's watched my story for 32 years now and he hasn't changed the channel oh, you are not good at this. <laughs> Go back to Tom, you know? Like, <laughs> because in spite of all that, God still loves me. But like that's the reality of the existence that we live in. And no matter how long we're here, like that's just the truth of what's gonna happen at the end of here. And I look at that and, and, and like if that was the end of the story, wouldn't that be a depressing story? Wouldn't it be? I don't know all the laws of God. There's like 613 of them. But I, I could, I'm out of the game and don't have any other gods before me. Because I know I've put stuff in front of God. I actually, I believe the, the true essence of what sin is is to devalue God. To put anything other than God in God's place, that's to devalue God. To look at God as anything less than the most important being that's ever existed and to live my life in that way, that's the essence of sin. And everything else is just a side effect of those things. And I would hate to like, have to stand before God and be like, you know what, I just liked this thing and this person and this thing and this thing more than you. I just, I just didn't know. Like if that was the end of the story, I'm doomed. There are 613 commands. I can't get through the top 10 And that would leave us in a hopeless place. Um, Fortunately, um, that same God who loves us, even though we're a blip on a blip on a blip, that same God who loves us, he he didn't leave the story there. It goes on in 14, and it says, therefore. Now, therefore is always a context word. We could have started the whole thing with 14 to the end because that's the happy part. But if you get therefore in the thing, you have to know what the context is, and that's the context all sitting right there in verse 13. So what is the therefore? Therefore, it's because God sees everything and God knows everything, and I'm going to have to stand before him one day, therefore. 
then there's some like editor notes that happen there. You could, you could actually skip these, but you won't understand what he's saying. Um, and he says, therefore, skip the editor notes. Let's hold fast to the confession. That doesn't mean anything, right? Still a sentence, still does the thing. But there's a reason those things are in there. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, and then it names him Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. Now, we see that, and it didn't mean much to us. Because, I mean, for most of us, we don't know a whole lot about Jewish culture, but this book is written to what? The Hebrews. Okay? Not the coffee club, right? You've heard that joke. But it's written to the Jewish people, Jewish converts to Christianity, people that used to be people that followed the law and lived under the law, and and now they've met Christ, and here's this book about the superiority of Christ to your old ways. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. This was shadows. This was, this was smoke and mirrors. But here's the real essence of everything you've been doing. That's, that's what this book is about. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest. Well, what is the high priest? We don't know because we're not Jewish and we just have like regular priests, right? Like I'm, I'm just some dude that's a band teacher that you all come listen to once a week talk about the Bible. You know, but like... They had a great high priest, and the great high priest, he had a lot of roles. He was the chief religious official for, like, all of Israel. Uh, but his, his most important role is one day a year, for, like, one time, on the Day of Atonement, he would sacrifice an animal for his sins and the sins of all of Israel. And he would go into the temple, and he would pass through the outer complex that'd be the part that we could maybe get into you know depending on who you were and then he would go into the inner part of the temple which none of us could go into and then beyond that he would go into this place called the holy of holies a place in the temple just a little room that that was separated um, from all the other parts by a thick curtain not like a i can see through kind of window curtain hey the sun's coming in but this thing was it had some weight to it I think somebody told me one time, and you, you can Google this later. It may or may not be true. I'm, just, that's, I'm giving you that, right? Um, that, that a team of oxen couldn't pull this thing apart. It was so thick. I have no idea if that's true, but it was a thick curtain. Heavy curtain. And this curtain was set in the way because nobody was supposed to look into this room because in this room was this box, this golden box called the Ark of the Covenant. You know, if you've ever seen Indiana Jones, it's kind of similar to that. This golden box poles through it that they would use to carry it. Um, and, and inside of this box, there was the Ten Commandments. There was a jar of manna. And there was a rod, Aaron's rod, in, inside of this box. Most significant of those would be this law, represented the law of God. And on top of that, there was this thing called the mercy seat, this fancy gold little lid that would clip down on there. And then on top of the mercy seat, there were these two cherubim, and they had their wings extended. And in between those wings, the physical manifestation of the presence of God dwelt on planet Earth. And you and I, we couldn't look into that room because we weren't worthy or good enough to look into that room. Actually, nobody could even go in that room except one man, one time a year. And it was so crazy, when he went in, they would tie a rope around his ankle because if he did something the wrong way, he, he could be killed in that room and they would have to drag him out because nobody could go in that room to get him because then they would all be killed. And it's crazy, right? 
But this high priest, one time a year, like one day a year, he could go into the presence of God if he did all the things the right way. And what he would do is he would go in and he would take this blood and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Significance being, here's the presence of God and here's the law. And, and instead of looking through the mercy seat and seeing the law, God would look through and he would see the blood. He wouldn't see the law. He wouldn't see the law, he would see the sacrifice. And when he says, hey, we're going to have to go and we're going to have to give an account to God one day for everything we've ever thought, everything we've ever done. Because of that, therefore, I just want to remind you, we don't have a pitiful little bitty old man high priest. We don't have some dude that's going to be in there for maybe 30 years who's been like elected or appointed to office that's going to one time a year be able to go into a room where the presence of God is. We have a great high priest. We have Jesus, the Son of God, who passed through the heavens, who didn't walk into a room, but like actually came down and then went back up. Not with the blood of bulls and goats one time a year forever, but one time for everybody took his own blood into the most holy place, the very presence of God, and on the mercy seat shed his blood. So when God looks down, what he doesn't see is my failure and my fault in comparison to this law. What he sees is the sacrifice. There. For we got to stand in front of God one day and give an account for everything we've ever done. And because of that, I just want to remind you, we're not in some hopeless place where it's like, oh my gosh, God's going to stamp me out and stomp me out. We're in a place where we have this sacrifice. We have a great high priest whose name is Jesus, who's passed through the heavens and he shed his blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat for me, Jesus, the son of God. And in light of that, what does he say? Let's hold fast to the confession. In light of that, this is what he says. Hey, reminder, we have Jesus, the Son of God, who's shed his blood. And God doesn't see me in comparison to the law anymore. He just sees the blood. So I don't have to go in front of God and be like, hey, I'm afraid to tell you this, but I did this thing again. We don't have to go in front of God and be like, hey, I know that I shouldn't be here because I'm just not really very good and I've done all these things, but I just need to remind you that that I messed up again. What what he says is in, in light of that, we can cling That's what the word hold fast to means, to clutch tightly, to cling to the confession. Now, now what he's not saying here is you need to tell me your sins. I I don't care. I'm a sinner, and I can't do much for you other than pray for you. I need you to pray for me. He's not talking about this confession idea where we get in this little closet and tell this, this not high priest, right, this not great high priest our issues and our struggles. And I'm not saying you don't need to talk to people. There's parts where it says that we should pray for each other's sins. We just aren't honest enough to share the fact that we're sinners with people. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this idea that we should continually confess our sins to God. 
It's an idea, actually, of repentance, this idea of repentance. And I think I have the definition for repent, do I? Um, repent is to feel or express. I would even change that word, wouldn't I, to and. To feel or and express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. That's the definition of repent. I think we throw around this word repentance in, in church a lot, and we're like, you need to repent. You need, there's this idea of repentance, and, and it's a good idea. But I think what we have done um, is we've made it a one-time, one-moment kind of idea, right? I already did that. Oh, I repented when I was 11 in the front of blah, blah, blah. And mama cried, and I did that. But here's the question, is that the idea of holding fast or clinging to confession? I just want to share with you this truth that I think if we all learned, we would all be in a better spot. Repentance is not a one-time momentary event where we come to the front of a room. Repentance is a lifestyle. See, in reality, I have, in fact, been forgiven. I've been forgiven. Like, that happened, right? That was an event. That, that happened. And it didn't happen when I was 11 in the front of a room. It happened on a cross 2,000 years ago. I was forgiven at that moment. Jesus decided at that moment to forgive all sin for those who would ask. Right, it's a, it's a free gift, but you still have to take the free gift. We got free coffee in the back. Not everybody drinks coffee. There's free forgiveness at the cross. Not everybody will ask or accept it. Because here's the reality. For some of us, we're not going to believe. For some of us, we're going to try to do it on our own. And for some of us, we just aren't ever going to come to the realization that there's anything we need to be forgiven for. Just like some people don't drink coffee, some people don't do repentance. But for those of us that do, there's this idea, right, that God sees everything. He knows everything and he hears everything, even our thoughts. And we're not like building up that, right, for all eternity till we get to the end and just dumping it all out. We have this ability to, even now today, because of the blood of Jesus and the fact that we know we already have forgiveness, we can come in before God, not as scared people entering through a curtain into the most holy place, afraid of death, but we can enter in in a different way and we can hold fast or cling to the confession. This is what the writer says, that we should cling to the confession, that confession shouldn't be a one-time thing. It should be a daily thing. It should be a lifestyle because here's the facts. And I hope you get this. You sinned today. You sinned yesterday. And you will sin tomorrow. And that's going to be a pattern every single day until this sinful flesh gets thrown in a hole and you are liberated from sin. 
And, and you don't have to carry around all that sin from now until you get to eternity and then dump all that at the feet of God. Today, we can know that we have forgiveness and we can dump it out today. See, because here's the crazy thing about sin. Sin is never alone when it enters your life. Sin always comes with shame, and shame always separates us from God. You ever read Genesis 2? What's the last verse? They were naked and unashamed. Everything was naked and exposed before God, and they were fine. No need to hide, no need to cover, no need to run, no need to find a tree or some leaves, no need for any of that. And then sin came, right? Hey God, I, I, I thought that apple or whatever it is was more valuable than you. God wasn't mad because they ate an apple. Fruit is not that big of a deal. The issue is the same issue with every sin. We devalue God when we choose something other than God. I thought that was what I needed, not you. I had everything in you and I chose something else. That is the essence of sin. And we've all validated it over and over and over and over and over again. But when he did that, what happened? It says his eyes were opened and now he knew he was naked. Oh man, God can see everything. So what did he do? He made a covering, and it was a pitiful covering. So God came, and he found a tree, and he got behind it. You'll never see me here. He didn't read verse 13. God can't see me if I get behind this tree. God can't see me if I put on my church clothes. God can't see me if I act like a good person. God can't see me if I'm religious enough. God can't see me. You see what we're doing? We're hiding. And why are we hiding? Because sin, no. Because sin brings shame. God called out, Adam, where are you? Probably looking at him. Adam, where are you at? I didn't think you'd find me here. And what did he say? I was afraid because I was naked. Not I was afraid because I ate the fruit. But I was afraid because God, I knew that you'd see this. Sin brings shame. And shame separates us from God. Hold fast to the confession. Because we're sinners. And when you allow sin in your life, you allow shame in your life. And shame will separate us. I can't go in there. You ever been there? I can't read my Bible right now. Do you know what I just did? I can't pray right now. Do you know what I just did? What is that? I'm ashamed because I've sinned and now I'm separated. And what's the writer say? Brother, it doesn't matter what tree you get behind. God already sees it. Why, why do you think you have to read the Bible for God to see it? 
Why, why do you think you have to pray for God to see it? See, that's a lie, isn't it? God already sees it. It doesn't matter what we're doing. Oh, I can't go to church today. You know what I did last night? That's a lie. Lay in bed. God still sees it. See, shame is so powerful because the remedy is what? The remedy is confession. It's the same idea, isn't it? Repentance. Repentance is the remedy. God, I feel the regret. That's going to happen if I'm at home or if I'm here. God, I already know that I've messed up. That's going to happen if I pray or if I don't pray. I already know that. So I can run from it and I can go try to hide it and I can try to cover it, which is a lie. I can't do it anyway. Or I can cling to my only hope, which is repentance, confession. I have a great high priest who loves me, who's passed through the heavens, who's already shed his blood, who's already said you're forgiven. And I don't have to run anymore. The remedy is not to run, it's to cling, to hold on to when everything is saying don't, to, to wrap my life around this idea of repentance. God sees you and he loves you and he wants to be intimately involved in your life and sin and shame will cause you to be like, no. No, I don't want that. Not till I'm better. Not till I clean up my act. Not till I, you can't. You can't. And you build wedge upon wedge upon wedge upon wedge upon wedge upon wedge upon wedge. And you might get more moral, but you won't get good. So God says, let's not waste time with building a covering. Let's not waste time with finding a tree. Do you not realize what Jesus has done? Cling to that. Grip on to that. Grab on to confession. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us cling to confession even when we don't want to. 15, for we do not have a high priest, listen to this, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is talking about Jesus. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. What is he saying? Jesus is not sitting in heaven thinking, what an idiot. Can't believe they did that again. I don't want to talk to you. Get away from me. Come back tomorrow when you're not being stupid. We don't have that high priest. What is he displaying? The character of God. This is the character of God. We don't have a high priest who looks down at us and on us. How, how many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, please don't, have thought, man, I'm such an idiot, God probably hates me. You've thought that. I know, because I've thought that. That's a lie, that's not the character of God. God doesn't want to hear from me right now. That's a lie, that's not the character of God. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tested, listen to this, who's been tested in every way as we are, if you've been tested with sin, snake crawls up. Man, that fruit looks good. Eve could have said, Dang. yeah, it does. Not sinned. But when she said, 
I'd rather have that than what God says. That's sin. It's when we pick it. Jesus came to this place and he knows. He's not looking down on you. It says, because of that, let us approach the throne of grace with what? Boldness, not fear, not doubt, not worry, not uncertainty, with boldness, so that what? So that we may receive, not so that we might receive. so that we may receive, so that we have permission to receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Can I just let the cat out of the bag today? Everybody that's ever breathed aside from Jesus has sinned. You ain't better than nobody but you're also not worse. Isn't that good? You, you aren't better than anybody, but you're also not worse. I think we get in this lie sometimes that we build up in our head that, you know, grace, it's for those people. That forgiveness, it's for everybody else because man I just I'm just not like them newsflash you are exactly like them see we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that's the word of God Every person that's ever breathed aside from Jesus has of the greater good people mark to build up, right? Think because people come in a building on a Sunday night and just like me and you, they've fallen short of the glory of God. They're short of the glory of God. They can put on a fallen single entire house. God, I pave every sin. Sometime, but on the cross, Jesus already said, "You know what? I, I'll get crushed. So I'll be so they don't have all the ounce of sin, all the shame, and I'm on the cross so that everybody can and hiding in the dark. You lay something down, and not as some beat dead held high high priest, and you need with me forgive. You just gotta. I'll take your shit. I want you? Some of us today, maybe we hear that thing, but, but I don't even know Jesus. Today is, today is for me. I just want you right now. Maybe some of us need to come. Maybe some of you just want to stand where you are. I don't, I don't care how you pray. God doesn't care how you pray. But there's something powerful about saying to others, I don't care who sees it. I want Jesus.